Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Loudon Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 124. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. And hey, everybody, welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Owen Curtin, who's a man of many talents. Uh, He's a sound engineer and professor of audio technology. He's worked with many recording artists, including uh, Sheryl Crow, David Gray, Keen, Amanda Palmer, and Jordan Knight. Uh, He's also the co-owner and head engineer over at the Bridge Sound and Stage in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He also uh, plays a major role in what is known as the Audio Builders Workshop, which is basically kind of a, a community DIY pro audio building uh, group of people. And they put on seminars and uh, they do group builds and they have an upcoming video series that you can uh, join in on. And you can check that out at audiobuildersworkshop.com, which I highly encourage you to do. And we're going to talk about that in our interview. And he's also a, uh, a parent of, uh, of two kids. So we're going to be talking about that as well. Yeah, so Owen Curtin coming up, that's C-U-R-T-I-N, not T-A-I-N, yes. So as you can probably hear, the kids in, in the background playing. I, my oldest son is uh, got a schoolmate over today. It's Sunday as I record this, and uh, I'm sure they're destroying the living room. I'll find out after I do the monologue, but they're in there playing Xbox and having a good old time. So we'll just carry on, no big deal. Uh, let's talk about the Pono player. If you listen to the show for a long time, if you li- listen at least to the very beginning, two years ago, I jumped into the Kickstarter campaign to buy a limited edition Willie Nelson Pono player with the hopes that, you know, this would be kind of a cool alternative to iTunes and the downloading of, uh, you know, low res AAC files or loss, lossy AAC files from there and, uh, give me kind of a chance to, uh, you know, experiment with buying high-res files as a consumer in a consumer capacity. So I'm not a big high-res advocate. You know, I don't mind it, uh, but I'm not out there beating the drum for it uh, like some are. And I was just interested in a cool player that had uh, good quality converters in it, something better than my phone. And uh, the Pono actually really proved to be a great great device for that. I use it when I travel. I still travel with it to this day. I don't really use it at home as much as I thought I would. And uh, it's been great. You know, I bought a few files, but for the most part, I was ripping my CD collection, 16-bit, 44.1 WAV files, but I was ripping them as FLAC files and squeezed a bunch of tunes, you know, in a small space that sounded really good. And I really enjoyed it. Take it in the car. My car has an aux jack in it. So I could just, you know, plug an eighth inch jack in and listen to tunes. And it was great. At one point, the website went kind of silent and said they're working on something new. Well, recent article in CNET shows me what's going on. And that is this article presumes that Pono is dead and that basically Neil Young has announced a new streaming service called Xstream. And I don't see this Pono player going much further. So I'm not anticipating any more software updates, certainly not anticipating a Pono store. And being that it's a non-Wi-Fi compatible device, you can't stream anything to it. So it's kind of like a first generation iPod in that way. Uh, I've enjoyed it immensely, I got to say. 
uh, and I posted something on my personal Facebook page about it. And a lot of my friends were like, really, are you surprised? And I'm like, well, yeah, but not really, but you know, you just, you kind of buy into the dream for a little bit and you think, well, this could be cool. We'll see what happens. I was a little suspicious. I got to tell you of the, of the, the long-term plan, but whatever. I lost 400 bucks in the deal, I guess. And, uh, but it still works and I can continue using it. So there's two tracks I could take, you know, I can just continue using it. I could sell it. If one of you wants to buy it, let me know. Still have the box, still have the little case, uh, most of the packaging and uh, the high res, uh, the free high res files that came on it. So um, yeah, it's been good, man. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it immensely and uh, I'm disappointed to see Neil's thing kind of go downhill, but uh, you know, such is life. That's what happens. So um, if you have any questions or comments regarding the Pono player or regarding anything on the show, obviously you can reach out Matt at workingclassaudio.com. Just send me an email, tell me your thoughts. If you got guest suggestions, you know, I'm always looking for guests. I like recommendations of guests. I like people who have a decent amount of experience and a story to tell. So if you're kind of antisocial and you're brand new, don't have your friend recommend you. That wouldn't be cool because our conversation pretty much would go nowhere and that wouldn't be fun. So that's it. And before we get into our conversation with Owen, I want to hip you to this. Universal Audio, who's a sponsor of the show, uh, they have a really cool promotion going on that I got to let you know about. It's uh, regarding the Apollo Audio interfaces. From now until June 30th of 2017, in case you're listening at a different point in time, you get up to $3,500 $3,500. Wow, that's a lot. In uh, free premium UAD plugins, you know, those are plugins from Studer, Lexicon, Fairchild, AKG, and more. That happens when you buy an Apollo rack. So if you head on over to uaudio.com slash Apollo dash dream studio, uh, you can take advantage of that. And all the details are there. You basically get a bunch of uh, extra plugins for free when you buy any combination of... Uh, of Apollos. So uh, please head on over there and take advantage of that if you're thinking about buying an Apollo. I got to say, I love mine. I have a first generation silver one, uh, a quad uh, with the Thunderbolt card. And I also have uh, an 8P uh, quad and uh, enjoy them immensely. Use them every single day. And if you forget the URL, you can always head over to uaudio.com and check it all out. Let's get into it here and chat with Owen Curtin here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, I listened to your interview with one of my favorite podcasters out there, Bobby Osinski. And if listeners haven't heard that interview, I definitely encourage you to uh, check it out. Number one, I'm a big fan of Bobby O's and uh, I think he does a great job and you're a fantastic guest. And really, um, between the two of you, you, you get a lot of good information out there, some of which we're going to touch on today. As I see it, there's, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think there's, there's three aspects to your life. Well, beyond three aspects, but from a professional standpoint sure. and an educational standpoint, there's the educational aspect that you uh, do with the New England Institute of Art. And are you part of Emerson College? Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay. So there's that, that part of it. There's also Bridge Sound and Stage, your studio. Yeah. But there's also the Audio Builders Workshop. Right. All three interconnected very easily. Yeah. The other element there is I also work for Colonial Sound, which is a recording studio at a public high school, Concord Carlisle High School out here in Massachusetts. That's actually where I am right now. It's We've got a you know, great performance space, great control room. And it, so I'm not a teacher. I work for IT, but I run the studio and we've got a club that comes and hangs out. We're actually generating audio builders TV or Audio Builders Workshop television. So we have a, that basically, I was running Audio Builders Workshop, but I'm starting to fold it into this 
this position I have here because these students are very interested in what we're doing and it's a good chance for them to learn about all of this stuff. So there's sort of, mm-hmm. this is just to give you a fourth thing that I'm up to. And the New England Institute of Art, actually, unfortunately, it's, it's, a, it's, it's days are numbered. They're closing out our, they're teaching out our local program. Um, and that's why I'm not, I'm not teaching there now, but um I, so I left oh, there. Okay. I left there in August, and um, and started here. That that was an incredible program. It just unfortunately we, they are not able to keep that the doors open there. But and to top it off, you're also a parent. <laughs> I am two little kids, uh, mm-hmm. four age four and two. My boys four, and uh, my little girls two. Okay, so you're currently in the middle of ass kicking season for <laughs> children on parents. Yes, that's exactly right. At least we at least <laughs> we have two. It's still man to man, and so we're able to keep it together. But it's definitely a new a new uh, new phase of my life. Yeah, a new phase of my life for sure. Like parents with three kids, you're not outnumbered. Exactly. Yeah. Then you switch to zone defense there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thirty thousand foot view. You have all these things going on. So. I'd like to actually start with the educational aspect of it. Um, You're very educated yourself. You have a bachelor's in media arts from Emerson College, and you have a master's in music technology uh, from the conservatorium at the University of Newcastle. That's right. So education's obviously played a major role in your life as you are an educator now. Can you talk a little bit about how important it is to, to you and how important it is you think to others out there, future professionals, as well as uh, maybe even current professionals who are furthering their education. And I think it's a, that's an interesting question for so many of us. You know, traditionally, I don't think we thought of this career as something you'd go to college for. And I, you know, and to put that into some perspective, I was studying for a couple of years, just whatever. I was a music major, a religions major, a poli-sci major, computer science major. <laughs> I just was moving it around. I was getting those general education credits. And then I just played in bands. So by the time I enrolled, I actually went to Emerson for my undergrad. And, and by the time I enrolled there, I was, I was 25. And by the time I graduated, I was 30. I took my education, you know, I, I, I ended up going to school there, ended up becoming staff. And then they, they gave me this opportunity as a staff member to, you know, drop out and then re-enroll as a staff member so that I could have my tuition paid for. So I took the long, steady road to education. I, I was working in studios and and starting this career without my education, but I definitely wanted to get the piece of paper because I think that a college degree opens up a lot more doors that my experience in the studio wasn't going to open for me. And it connected me to a network of other people, you know, my professors, my, my peers that has stayed really strong for me. Those relationships I built in those years were really important. Bill Crabtree was one of my professors at the time and became a colleague of mine later, hiring me to teach at the New England Institute of Art, or it recommending me to be t- uh, to teach there. And then I was hired by Rob Lehman. But those types of relationships were really important. So that, I think college is kind of a lot about the network. I mean, it's true. I had, you know, I was actually joking with guys last night. We we're talking about, you know, you started your four track and yeah, I had borrowed a four track in high school, but I didn't know what it was. I brought it to a backyard party to do front of house sound with it. I, I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, my first real machine was a, one of these Roland VS 880s, a hard drive recorder with, like, I think they called them virtual tracks, but they were just playlists. And so anyway, I didn't really understand what a bus was. I was reading the manuals and, you know, back then, right, we didn't, you'd have to borrow the manual. You couldn't print the PDF or watch the YouTube shortcut video. You just, you had to like go to your friend and buy it. And buying gear was for me a lot about like, oh, I get to read that manual. But anyway, when I got to college and got my hands on more equipment and had actual professors to show me what was going on, then I, oh, that's what a bus is. Okay, cool. Not a vehicle with four wheels, but actually a path to which the signal travels. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, right. 
Exactly. So yeah, college was, was um, it, it played an important role in my life. You know, I definitely am I'm a manual reader. I, I, I really, uh, these days I'm a YouTube watcher. I, it's, it's a, to me, I, I'm a learner. So learning the specifics in school wasn't really about it, but you know, we had um, WERS, which is a college radio station, pretty great range, pretty great station. And we had a live, live music program. So I was mixing live bands on the air you know, in that period of time where I couldn't have been, I wouldn't have had that type of pressure. I'm a studio guy. So the idea of setting up a whole band and getting it up on the air and, you know, half hour, an hour, um, and then mixing it live, that's something I I still don't do much of today. But that, from that period of my life, I learned so much about just getting good sounds quickly and, you know, where the places, the stumbling points are a couple of times a week where, you know, as a student, I think in some programs you, you have to ask your friends, can you, can you come in and record? Can we try this? And it's not quite the same as that pressure of actually working in a live radio environment. So that was another great experience from from being at Emerson. And they, they still have that live music program today. You know, something that you mentioned, just um, you talk about reading manuals, talk about watching YouTube. Uh, I, I'm always fascinated by how people learn best. And I know that we all learn in a different way. I'm a very audiovisual oriented person. I can quickly, you know, learn how to do something by watching a YouTube video and just immediately, okay, I've got it. It's embedded in my head. I now know how to do it. You know, and I mean, that goes for anything. I used to have a a Subaru Forester. I figured out, you know, I was like, oh, I need to change the air filter. How do I do that? How do I not go to the mechanic? Right. Well, I looked on YouTube, figured it out, did it. It's in the glove compartment. Know, well, the little, the, the cabin air filters in the glove compartment and the air filters in the engine. I've done both of those and you watch the YouTubes. <laughs> you know, it co- costs like 10 bucks. You get it done. Yeah. Some people are readers. There's just so many different ways that people learn. Right. And I'm wondering how through, and this is a little bit of a transition to the Audio Builders Workshop, I'm wondering what your observations are of people learning how to do the technical side of pro audio equipment when it comes to building and the DIY approach. Do, do people, do you find that people learn best by reading or by actually just doing it or watching people? Yeah, I, the doing it is, that's sort of the, the key thing with the Builders Workshop, because we have our guests, you know, Doug Fern and uh, Dave Thibodeau and John Snyder. These guys are, they're smart. <laughs> and they can yeah. they can actually, you know, write out the schematic and and turn that into a board layout and, and, and make a product. And we have them at the seminar portions, but there's, we do builds, we do these builds and the builds are, that's when you really get your hands on it and you try it and you, you assemble something, whether it's a preamp or compressor, distortion pedal, whatever, we, we built a bunch, bunch of stuff. And for me, that's, that's it. I, I was never going to be an electrical engineer. It's not one of the majors I tried out in my undergrad, but I, I definitely wanted to learn and start to understand. And just, I, I put a little metronome kit together and learn the names of the parts. And that's enough. Like if you built model planes or Legos as a kid, that's it. You know, that, that's the skill set. Read instructions, uh, watch, vi- mm-hmm. you know, watch the video, whatever, just put the parts where they belong. And you start to learn not just how to do it, not the, the kinesthetic part, which is, you know, another great way to learn and another great skill that you get, especially if you want to repair some of your commercial products or your, your own products. But you start to learn the signal flow just by putting it together. You see how the, the pieces work together. And then, yeah, no, I, the, the hands-on is, it's a huge part of what we, what we do. But, you know, like tomorrow we've got a acoustics seminar. We could have built a diffuser, could have built a bass trap, but now we're talking a couple hundred bucks in materials and I, I don't have a kit that, that was affordable for enough people, but we'll spend eight days in a seminar, or sorry, excuse me, eight hours in a- I was going to say, <laughs> well, that's a, that's a long seminar. Right. Uh, we'll be at a Centec, which is a, a, you know, 
pretty major architectural acoustics firm and would be in a great sounding room with a great projection, like a great classroom. But most of those guys will have some sort of PowerPoint and it just changes up. Just charismatic guys who can keep your attention and they'll be learning by listening. And I think that's that's really what it's about. And that chance to interact with the, the speaker and ask questions. Mm-hmm. So that's a, you know, that's step above YouTube. Well, I will, of course, record it. We're, we're starting, uh, like I said, we're starting our own video series, web series, podcast. I don't know what you call them, but we're do, we're recording all this stuff plus additional content. So, but I think being there for me anyway, it's that chance to ask questions and we all hang out, right? It's sort of right. this local scene. And, and I, and I kind of, I kind of leapfrogged over what Audio Builders Workshop actually is. You can read and, and in the future you can see what their what audio builders workshop is about that's at audiobuildersworkshop.com but essentially you're putting on these seminars that are technical to show people how to you know for example your new presentation that's coming up on acoustics is going to give people kind of a a deep dive into the world of acoustics so maybe the home studio user can get a little bit better more uh, translatable mixes out of their their home studios if they can improve their own acoustics for example that's right. That's right. And then, but you also do builders things where you actually build, you solder, you actually build um, in the spirit of uh, like what Peterson Goodwin's doing. In fact, I think you had Peterson uh, come join you at some point. Yeah, that's right. That's sort of how this started. I actually, I just was really impressed with what Peterson was doing. And I thought, oh, I should meet this guy. Why don't I invite him to come to Boston and try to make it worth his while? And I started just a day event called Audio Builders Workshop. And that was actually, that one was the theme was from product, from prototype to product. And we just got a bunch of people, some guys here who started a company called U-Turn Audio. Um, they make, mm-hmm. they make, rec- they make, tur- oh, they make turn- turntables. Right, exactly. Great guys. And they, they started on a Kickstarter right out of college. These are guys who just went from prototype to product. So a lot of, we, you know, we filled the room that day with guys like that. And then the next day we built some of Peterson's kits. We built a, um, I think we built the reamp box he has, or maybe it was, mm-hmm. um, and um, he's he's also got this incredible color series that he makes, uh, which it's like, it's 500 series, but then inside of that, there's another modular format. There's so much development in that right now. Like there's many, many different flavors you can put inside of his this this format that he's invented. I mean, we all know 500 series at this point, but he made it modular again. Just for the listener, we're talking about DIYRecordingEquipment.com. That's uh, uh, our mutual friend, Peterson Goodwin. Basically, you know, taking what used to be kind of a very fragmented uh, business of DIY electronics and kind of funneling it into a website where you can just buy kits. Well, it's a little bit like the old, you know, Heath kits or, or Pi high kits, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. They I think that the these kits are much more high level. They're it's, you know, it's, it's pro gear and uh he he sells his products. He also sells some other people's products. He's um but even on top of that he has a wiki. Uh you know, like like Wikipedia, wiki whatever, WikiLeaks. Um he has a wiki, a, an editable by that means it's editable by the outside community. And that so it's it's open source if you want to call it that. Just people who aren't familiar with these terms, but basically it's a massive database of kits that we can all build with the instructions and the links and everything you need. And that's what was missing from this community. As soon as I got in it, I was like, are you kidding? I got to read through all these things and like make friends with somebody I've never seen their face and try to realize their real name versus their uh, emoticon or whatever we call those things. (laughs) Their screen names. Screen names. Yeah. Avatars. Avatars, Thank you. That's that. So I just found that the old forums and they still exist and they're still great once you're in, but that, that, point of entry, that barrier of entry, he just knocked that wall down and said, hey, these are the kits. These are the people who sell the parts. Go have at it. And not only that, he's got the stuff that he sells, which is like a beginner kit. 
it's got three products that we all need. I think it's a, D, a DI. I don't want to tell you exactly what it is. I can't, I don't want to mess it up, but um, he's got a beginner kit that's short bucks and you've got equipment that you needed anyway. And then when you've built those, they're easy enough. Um, you can move on to maybe the summing amp or the microphone preamp that he has, which actually takes the color module. He's got a whole host of products uh, that he's selling that are just really fun. And, you know, I just want to talk about that for a sec. You mentioned it earlier. You said, you know, you know, I'm not an electrical engineer. And I think a lot of people can get intimidated by uh, the insides of pro audio gear because they feel like, well, I don't have the education. I shouldn't, you know, be tampering with that. Others are a little more cavalier and they'll jump in there and electrocute themselves. <laughs> but but I think it's I think it's really interesting because uh, while it doesn't make you an electrical engineer to go and do a DIY piece of gear, it definitely does educate you about how these things are are built generally. It gives you kind of a mindset of what the manufacturer goes through. It also takes down a little bit of the mystery of the costs involved. Right, yeah. Uh, and the markups that are involved right. in some cases. And the countries of origin and uh, where the, some of the stuff is built, you know, kind of... I think it really educates on all of those fronts. That's right. Because of what I'm doing with Builders Workshop, I, I hang out with a lot of real electrical engineers and they would laugh if I ever gave myself any kudos because <laughs> I come to them with, you know, pretty basic questions quite frequently. But I was able to actually print my own circuit boards, make my own faceplate, you know, design a 500 series monitor controller. It had VU meters, mono summing, a talkback mic, and the ability to dim your control room mix when you're using talkback. Simple unit, but... Very important at the time when I when I designed that the HD Omni had just come out. So basically, if you were a Pro Tools HD user, you didn't have a way to have a monitor controller and a um, mono summing just right without a console. And I'm sitting there with this 40 channel Atari console, and most of I'm I'm mixing in the box because you got to get out that day, right? And um, so anyway, I, I just needed a little monitor controller that would fit next to all the preamps I was buying in 500 series. But the point of the story is. I'm not an electrical engineer, but I can read a data sheet. And most chips uh, out in the world come with a data sheet. And this thing works. It's functional. A great prototype. Radial soon came out with their Workhorse 500 series stuff that had the monitor controller built in it. And, you know, it wasn't like I was going to market anyway. But as soon as I finished my products, go, hey, thanks, Radial. I could have just bought yours. <laughs> <laughs> but but you learned something in the process. Right. And I, and I got a master's degree by handing it in as homework. So <laughs> that worked too. Wow. That worked, there you that go. One of these sponsored links came up on Facebook the other day, and I clicked on it and saved it. And it's called Front Panel Express. It seems to be is you can uh, design a, a front panel uh, with their free CAD software, and then uh, I guess you you know you submit it, and they create it and ship it to you. And it's kind of straight ahead. And it's like I said, it's FrontPanelExpress.com. So y y you yourself should check it out, but. Uh, the audience should check it out as well. I'm totally familiar. I, I did mine out of plastics with a, uh, a CNC cutter that a friend of mine owns a guitar shop. He he has a nice CNC cutter and he let me do that. But, you know, go forward seven years, I finally learned about Front Panel Express and, and a place called Cam Expert out in the West Coast is a guy, Heinz, over there. And I've used him for uh, a lot of the custom panels, just even some of the stage box type panels. But I did some real sort of weird shaped stuff to fit into my console so that I could have mm -hmm. some panels there. And anyway, Cam Expert, um, I'll give you there. It's C A M space E X P E R T. And they're in uh, Ventura Boulevard, Camelero, California. C A M A R I L L O. Okay. Anyway, Heinz is the dude, does good work. 
my friend turned me on to them. He's got a company called Analog Craftsman and they make modular large format synthesizers. And uh, it was actually over there last night and he's got such a synthesizer collection. It's uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful room and a fun place to make music. You know, beyond the, uh, the learning aspects that revolve around the whole DIY kit thing, building your own gear has a lot of advantages just from you know, let's put it in, in, in working class perspective. It's like, it's an economical way to go to have control over the products that you have in your studio and uh, to understand them, to know how to fix them if they break. But it also just saves a, a load of money. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I started with the Seven Circle Audio stuff and all of a sudden I had two Neves, two APIs, two 990 type units. Um, it was, <laughs> I didn't have, I couldn't afford that stuff. But I took the chance on that format and the, the quality of those builds is great. The sound is incredible. You know, as I've, the studio's grown quite a bit since that. I mean, the, I, I built the Seven Circle when I was running a small studio called the Mix Hut. Um, and the bridge has grown substantially since then. And so we've now have a mix of gear, you know, commercial stuff as well that costs a lot, a lot more money. You know, at some point it comes down to, do I have time to build this? Is this still my current really fascinating hobby? And I go in and out of all of that. You know, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I just kind of buy the thing. That's really cool. Someone just made some product. I'm just going to go buy it. But other times, you know what? I, it's uh, it's winter. I can go down in the basement, pull out the soldering iron, and and build something. Huff some solder. Huff some solder, right? I mean, these days, if I want to build something, I just throw a workshop. <laughs> we all sit around and build it. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> have a building party. Yeah, I mean, it's that's basically what they they are because you know, I'm the the principle is I don't want to build something that's junk. Like we could build like a diffuser this weekend. A, for fifty dollars, but it wouldn't be something that you're going to keep for the rest of your life. But we built we built microphones from uh, Matt McGuinn's microphone parts, and yeah, I, I built a I don't know it's a nothing. <laughs> so uh, I built a microphone there. I'm going to have for the rest of my life a forty seven type clone. You know, it's not branded. It's uh, we decided to assemble the parts this way. Um, but he's got mm-hmm. he's got a lot of straight cloney stuff and a lot of ability to mix and match and man. But anyway, the, the yeah that's 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 right. The economic the economic advantages are advantages are really massive. And we've had this incredible change, right? That all this stuff coming in from from uh, overseas, from China and, and the like. And it's um, that's helped a lot for condenser microphones. Um, and it's helped for Pultech clones. Um, but now, you know, <laughs> there's even DIY kits for Pultech stuff or any EQs in general. I mean, it's, and then you save even more. There's something, there's something about that ownership, you know, if you build something too, like, you know, that, that Ikea, free, that, that Ikea bookshelf you bought, it's worth more more to you after you spent the afternoon putting it together. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a commercial studio trying to attract outside engineers and such, it can be advantageous to have name brand products that we all know and love. And and, and that's a perception thing. Whereas if you if you're trying to you know run a a high end place and people come in and they see these products that either you made or were kits, sometimes that can play against you and people will be like, whoa, whoa, I don't, I don't recognize that. I, I'm not comfortable working here. I want to go to right. the place down the street. But if you're, if you're self-sufficient and you're the only engineer working there, like for myself, working out of my place at home, nobody cares about the gear that I have as long as the job gets done. So I could get away with building a lot of different things. And whereas the commercial studio is a little more strapped to the concept of what kind of console do you have? What kind of mic pre's do you have? You know, do you, you got to have name brand stuff. Yeah, Matt. I mean, we really walk the line on that where we are. There's Boston's got, you know, quite a few recording studios, like most cities. And they, you know, they come in generations in waves. We happen to be where 
Fort Apache was, a pretty legendary space. And I had the Otari there for five years, but we took that out because it's 2017 and we just don't need it anymore. The future is coming fast. And where you, you know, right where that keyboard is, where the, excuse me, where the console was, we now have a 88 key controller, uh, keyboard controller. And that's because, well, for one, a lot of our engineers and a lot of our clients are in the controller and making music. That's what we do. Um, that's the root of the thing. And that's what we want. We wanted to make it feel more at home there. And, uh, and for the same reason, all of our outboard is sort of a below waist level. In any case, we, we weren't, we weren't even using the console. We had, We've got a, a Mormi headphone system, the, the Hearback system, which I, I can't say enough about. It's a great system. You know, Pro Tools HD. Uh, we've always had an HD rig of one type or another. And we've we've wired up the room with 40 channels of pre's, 40 channels of EQ, 40 channels of compression, and a rack of time-based. So what will we be going to the console for? When Okay, sure, that's cool. If we had an Eve and I wanted 40 channels of Neve, that's cool. And And a lot of studios that I obviously respect are running it that way. That's a big nut that to get a console like that. And I think that the advantages for the way we're doing it is, oh, okay, we, we've got enough Neves to do most of your tracking for your basics, and we've got enough API to do the tracking for your basics. So we get two sounds, not just one, and we can mix and match it as necessary. And you know, and it's not just all Neve and API clones. There's a whole bunch of other stuff too. We're wired up for 40 channels and gear comes in and out. We've got four or 500 series racks and you know, plus plenty of regular rack space. That's a lot of equipment flowing in and out of the studio, a lot of places to slide things in and out. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's people, you know, there are definitely mixes that go to friends of mine that don't come to me because, well, they're, you know, they're running an SSL, they're running a Neve. That's cool. That, that That's the way you're used to working. That's cool. Yeah, you know, and I, I do want to just kind of, uh, I hesitate to say defend, but I, I will say that, you know, I do have a lot of friends, peers, uh, who do run studios with a traditional model uh, because that's the way their workflow is. And I think that that workflow is more than valid. Oh, yeah. But 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 if some of us who don't have that workflow, uh, the in-the-box thing and um, hell, for that matter, uh, modeled mic preamps via Universal Audio, for example, uh, that's that's valid too. It just depends on what your tastes and workflow are like. Right. Um, I won't even get into the, you know, one is better than the other. No, it yeah, depends no. on it as long as it works, that, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But, you know, we had a project in the other, it was 24 and 24. We had uh, 24 artists in 24 hours um, putting out a record. And it's, our workflow worked really well for that. And that's, and, and really that's basically the way it flows all the time. Um, we have We have clients coming in and walking out with product that, you know, every couple hours. So it's the, the speed of recall, recall is, is a challenge um, in the old flow. But I mean, I, I love sitting in front of a console. Um, I did it for a long time. I just, it's about that differentiation. People want, they don't want the DIY maybe, or they don't want the non-console. But I think these days people are starting to get used to that. And you know what? We actually didn't even differentiate this at all. We'd, we've kind of bled right into this conversation. We are talking about your place, the bridge, sound and stage. That's right. That's right. Yep. We're in yeah. uh, North Cambridge, just outside Boston. I'm confused. Is it a, uh, the stage part of it, I think is throwing me. So is it a rehearsal place? No. Yeah. No rehearsal. It's just that um, it's, you know, 3000 square foot warehouse space um, in a residential neighborhood, but it, uh, it used to be, a, it used to have a loading dock. And so that loading dock, there's, the doors are long gone, except for one part of the parking sign we kept. The loading dock is is still there, and so that's a stage. And over the years, uh, 
you know, um, Beck, Radiohead, Bowie um, have played on that stage, but it was Fort Apache. We've had um, Keen, Cheryl Crow. Um, it's been some others. As so well. this, you literally are in the old Fort Apache place. Yeah, Fort Apache's got a long history. I mean, we could talk forever about that. But there's there was three locations, and then there was a. Uh, a first location, and then there was two secondary locations, North and South. They were across the street from each other. North being in the Rounder Record building, and then South being across the street in its own standalone space. And the South space, I don't know if it ever, it was, it got quite finished out the way that North did. They had matching control rooms, but the live, the live room was wide open. I mean, it was really great. They had really long-standing relationships with radio stations they were doing a lot of shows during the day there like if if, if the major acts coming through town they're going to play the guard and they'll do a, an on-air show for the radio in that location now this music industry was a little different then uh, obviously anyway we tried to carry on that tradition a bit and we still do some shows if uh, on their stage if you made a cd with us and you want to do a cd release party we might do a show or um that sort of thing or if you want to put on a show and record it get a studio quality recording in front of uh, you know, 75 friends and family. That's a great recording. We love doing those. The space was so big, it had a stage. Um, and when we opened the business, we knew it was going to be called The Bridge. We just tacked that sound and stage on there to make it a little clearer. I don't know if this helped. <laughs> Most of us just call it The Bridge. Owen Curtin here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Just want to pause for a minute and thank one of our sponsors, Audio-Technica, who has been a very generous supporter and uh, advocate for what we're doing here on Working Class Audio. And want to encourage you to visit their site, audio-technica.com. A lot of different things there. There's actually a store on the Audio-Technica website now that you can buy from. So I encourage you to check that out. A lot of accessories, a lot of primary products you can buy directly from their website. So that's it. Let's get back into it with Owen Curtin here on the Working Class Audio podcast. How do you make all this work with your family? It's <laughs> a great question. You get a lot of plates in the air. The core answer here, Matt, is that I work nine to five, really 10 to six, and I run the studio at a public school. So anyway, that's my day job. I think it's a lot of fun. And that's how I make usually make it work with a family. But you know, last night I, I left here, zipped into Cambridge to go to a Centec, get the tour, lay the land for Saturday's workshop, um, zipped over to Analog Craftsman to hang out with Tony and talk synthesizers, and then went over to the bridge to work with one of our new engineers to make sure that session was going as it should. You know, and then uh, woke up, changed diapers, uh, got the kids in the car, got them to school. We don't have preschool in my town, so you get them to private preschool, pay for that. And then uh, and here I am at work. And so there's some long days. That's the that's the that's the gig. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't do it like I did it. You know, when I was thirty-one, it was a lot different. Now that I'm forty-one, I, I try to. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, how things change. Sure do. Yeah, it's interesting though the um, the economic stability that comes with doing a day gig, but it's not like you're working a day gig that's non-related, right. and that that changes things a bit. Yeah. Uh, when you're when you're deriving a, a large portion of your income from something that is audio related, which is directly related to not only um, uh, your background, your educational background, but also just the the passions that you have. So the 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 time you spend with Audio Builders Workshop and and uh, the bridge, I mean, is that hard to carve out for you? It is. Uh, it's really difficult. You know, I would say that as a professor, I had more free time, more flexible time. You know, if I if I was upgrading late at night, that doesn't impact the family in the same way as it does work 
you know, if I have to be at a class, right? But classes two or three days a week, other responsibilities, committees and stuff like that pop up here and there and then, and grading, right? So there was a lot more free time then. Now where it's, you know, it's a real 40 hour a week in the building away from the family. That's, that's made it, made it more difficult to, to carve out time for the, for the bridge and for the workshop. But the workshop is not a profit thing. That's just a passion problem. It's just a, it's like, you know, I just have to do it. And so I fold, I've managed to fold that in and give that to these kids here and give them an outlet for making TV and for learning about, you know, learn, meeting all my friends in the industry. So that's how I've made that happen. I sort of try to give that to them. And then the bridge, yeah, you know, it's tough. I'm really lucky to have a business partner who's very involved and a head engineer who's also incredibly involved and and they can well they have my absolute trust <laughs> i read every email that gets sent to that email account uh, or at least read the snippet preview right i'm i try to keep my finger on the pulse there but it's there's nothing like being in the building and i and i just can't at this point in my life i can't be in the building every day i'm the guy they come to with man that pro tools crashed what's going on or doorbell's not working or, you know, whatever it is. But as we've gotten, as the business has grown, I guess it's nine years, I've learned which things I have time for that I can do on the phone with them and which things I can say, oh, well, I've got the network, you know, I'm the guy who's out doing workshops and, you know, I have so many former students who are now incredible, incredibly talented professionals. Like I can make a phone call. Like last night, the, the Viber King that was making the Farva bean f -f 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 sound, they were literally. <laughs> and, and just, just for the younger audience members, that's a, that's a reference to the movie Silence of the Lambs. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually the director recently died. That was a, that was a top news story. That's right. I heard Jody uh, Foster on the news. That's probably why I was thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't realized that that's what happened, but it is that sound uh, of the something. So I jiggled the tubes, but it's midnight. The band is, you know, basically done. They, you know, they think the session ended at midnight, but they they had another song to go. And I was like, well, you know, we we can't we can't track with that. So I jiggled the tubes, didn't have time, threw the mesa up to make to keep the session going. And um, what was the point of this story? Oh, oh, just that you know, this morning I was like, oh, Brad, Brad can fix this. So I, uh, I don't need to go in there and figure out what's actually going on. Is it a bad tube? Which tube is it? Is it something else? I just called Brad. He's, he's an old colleague of mine and a, and a great, great amp repair tech, and, a, and he makes uh, nerd knuckle. Um, so I just called Brad. So and having those, you know, knowing who to call and where to bring the amp, that's that's the role I can play for the studio. Deal with those types of things. How does this work? The business structure of the of the bridge in terms of your partner? Uh, are are there more than two of you? There's just the two of us. We. 50-50 partnership. He's a former student of mine. He'd been taking a directed study with mine, with me, uh, and made, was making a really great album. And I was, I was very impressed. I was impressed with him all along. He always had incredible work. Then when he graduated, he was, he'd been working out of his house, but I had this small studio. So he started freelancing out of my space. And the two of us went in on this, this space. The Fort Apache space had been not shuttered, but it had turned basically into a residence kind of for I think five or six years. Our good friend Charlie was was uh, living there and renting out part of it. And anyway, we, we got a chance to buy the building from him. And I guess the rest is history. Just try to make it happen. You know, we, we, <laughs> I had those, I had those stilts that you, you use those pin to the ceiling and you put plastic on them. Kind of like you make like an ET plastic oh. for, again, for our, for our younger audience. That's a movie about an alien, but a big plastic barrier so that we could do the woodwork and build everything out in the live room. And we still had, and we had, we had clients coming in, working in the control room, you know, within, within a couple of weeks of just moving into the space, no, no copper pulled anywhere. We just got down to it. We both had these home studios, project studios. We just put them in there and, and just went for it. And I mean, just just like you do at your house, it's just that we were in this 
you know, legendary space that sounded better than any place we'd recorded before, you know, great isolation in the booths. And, but we, we, we built it the way everyone else builds it in the, in the sense that you're building a home studio. We, a lot of guys do it that way. And I, I think that people f- see us and see this at this point, we're, it's a big building and it's a fancy looking space with, line, with this lineage, but so, it, and, and, and you look at our website, we have all these corporate clients, but that's not the, that's not how it happens. It's not like we went to the bank and say, hey, can you, can you fund the worst idea you've ever heard? <laughs> <laughs> um, was it difficult in buying the building? Yeah, that, that posed some challenges and it's got overhead and we make it work. Um, you know, the, I think that when I, I have so many students who say, I'm going to, I want to open a studio, you know, when, when, when they're freshmen, everyone, they all raise their hand. Yeah. I want to have a studio when I'm, when I graduate, I want to build my own. And I, I love to try to remind them that I, I have a day job. <laughs> a lot of my peers have day jobs. There are expenses to covering this stuff that are unforeseen. You know, oh my God, we're making, you know, a hundred bucks an hour for, you know, 40, 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. And when we calculate it like that, we're making money hand over fist. It's like, well, that's not how we do calculate the income, first of all. And did you realize that the electric rate you pay at home isn't quite the electric rate you're going to pay in a commercial space? Um, not even close. Um, and you know, you got you got to air condition a soundproof room quite like well, a lot more than a regular room. And by the way, it's got to be quiet. The expenses are, and you know, hey, I I know that because I went in blind calculating my hourly rate times 24 times seven, you know, like I, I, I just wanted it, you know, like, and it was, I've been collecting gear since as long as I can remember, you know, my guitars, my bass amps, my first compressor, uh, first compressor is gone, but a lot of the gear I first bought is still in this space. It took a long time to get here. And, and my business partner was similar, similar issue with collecting equipment. Um, you know, the, the, the curse of our business, but yeah, it, it just takes a long time to get there. But slow and steady has really been the secret for us. We're not in any rush to be Boston's biggest studio, but we're doing pretty good. So, okay. So let me ask you this: in terms of the bridge makes money, mm-hmm. and you have this day job. So I know this this might sound naive and simplistic, but so your money from your paycheck comes in. Do you ever have to dump money into the bridge to keep it afloat? I will tell you this: that. For the majority of our existence, all money that we make goes back into the business. That if the business makes money, it pays its staff. That's the most important thing. You know, <laughs> I remember I remember being told when I was freelancing, oh, well, we'll pay you once the client pays us. We'll give you your piece of that. <laughs> and there was no way that we were doing that to our guys. When you do the work and the week comes to its end of its cycle, you get your check. We're the ones carrying the nut. We're the ones that have that responsibility. Anyway. But those studio profits got folded back in for, for almost the entire existence of the bridge. There's been times where we've made enough that we can we can take, I guess you'd call them dividends. But we pay it, we we pay ourselves when we work. If I engineer a session, I get paid. But as a business owner, I've taken it as this is my passion. This is I I just I love this business. I love what we do there. And there's so much room for growth, um, not just in the technology, but you know. I was telling you that the, the Fort Apache South had this giant live space. I it, great sound, but almost too much and not necessary. So I built a a wall, you know, a wall in a studio. I won't even tell you what that cost. It, you just, it's it's two walls going up twelve feet with double doors and double glass, and then all of a sudden you build another ISO booth and another control room on the edges of it. So it it gets kind of crazy. But those types of capital improvements are important to me to make, and and that's 
that's the uh, I can't I can't take my paycheck away from my family and put it there. But we run a we run a business and uh, it makes money <laughs> most of the time. Interesting. You know, some people have, and I only know this because, like, I think I've been through it for a, a short phase, not not long. But I think some people are sometimes our identities are so wrapped up. You know, uh, let's let me, let's just make a hypothetical person here, so a person that wants to be a recording engineer or producer, and they want to do it so bad that they they won't take a day job because they're afraid that that will shatter the dream or the illusion that they're a uh, a producer or an engineer and or they or they refuse certain types of audio work because it's not exactly what they want to be doing do you are you following me i'm following you completely and and i think there's a great spot for that person i'm not that guy you know you know who i am is someone who loves to learn period i just i, I like that I, I, if a job poses a challenge that makes me have to learn something, I'm having a great time. Um, and, and so while I pin my identity a lot to music and to recording, I, I don't necessarily have to be a particular thing. But for those guys who are that, I think one of the great positions is, is a house engineer. The, taking that risk and having to be the studio owner, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it doesn't work. The numbers don't work. And I'll tell you, our house engineer, Alex Allison, he's incredible. He is, well, he's an incredible person as a, just a kind human. He's hardworking to a fault and it works for him to be uh, employed by us. And, and one of the reasons it works is he is, because he's in there seven days a week making records, he's an expert at making records. I mean, this guy's records sound better than any record I'll ever make. I, I, it's hard because he went from my student to now my mentor. He, he, I taught him quite a bit, but at this point he's so good. And I, th I think that's a good position for those people is to, is to get paid, uh, become staff at a place where someone else is handling those other responsibilities. Um, I think the freelance engineer thing, man, that's tough. That's tough. Um, it's having that commitment to a place and having a place committed to you gives you the chance to be become an expert at your craft the way you want to be. Doing the thing that you've pinned your identity to every day is the only way you're going to be happy with the with the work that you're putting out. It's the only way you're going to learn the craft the way it needs to be learned. So for those people, and they exist, and I and I, I love Alex, uh, and, and, I, and I respect what he does, I think that's the way to do it is to, is to become staff. Yeah, because, you know, it doesn't always work out that way for some people, and there's no shame in going to work for a pro audio company or doing, uh, you know, another type of audio work, you know, maybe you're a live sound person and you don't like doing studio work, but that's where the money's coming in. Or you're a studio person in live sound work. That's where your money's coming in. Once again, another film reference for, um, for our listeners. And that's, um, the decline of Western civilization, part two, the metal years, kind of examining the hair metal days and showing um, uh, a bunch of uh, Los Angeles-based metal bands, hair metal bands, talking about, you know, the, the interviewer will say, well, what are you going to do if this doesn't work out, this band thing that you want to do? Oh, well, it will. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it someday. Well, not everybody makes it. Not everybody becomes, you know, some of the, the folks we look up to. And there isn't, I guess I'm just emphasizing, there just isn't any shame in, in realizing that it didn't work out. It's okay, but you can go and do other stuff that's related and it's just as important and just as valuable. Yeah. You know, Matt, I, I work in the, you know, in the yard on the weekends and I'll come in from digging a hole for something or mowing the lawn and, and I, not necessarily mowing the lawn, more like the project stuff. I'll come in feeling really good 
Um, the challenge of working and thinking and solving a problem, I think, this is my theory, is what makes me happy, period. As long as it's a new challenge, something I haven't done before, and if it involves physical work, then it brings like this extra level of joy. But I think we all, we all, we all love music and it gives us a, a feeling that's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. And we've loved learning our craft. But I, I, I would say to those people who, who are worried about, well, what if I take an alternative path? Well, what if that alternative path is challenging? It makes you think, it makes you happy. It's great. Uh, and there are so many, like so many varied careers in this industry. Uh, I used to teach an um, internship and portfolio class where we basically giving kids interns, uh, getting kids lined up with interns and and jobs for after graduation and a variety of things that people can do in this industry, um, technical or managerial that provide fulfillment. I've, I've just, I've watched so many, I guess I've been teaching for 15 years. Not all of my students are are, are killing it out in LA and in New York, although some are. The majority of them are are really living fulfilled, happy lives with families and kids and all of it, doing jobs that challenge them and have used the skills that they learned in audio. Uh, even if they're, even if it's in AV or in uh, even just business management or something, you know, they, they, they go on to live very happy lives. So I, I don't know, I guess there are people who have to have music and have to be recording engineers. Good luck. <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's yeah. really fun. I've, I've, I spent a lot of my life pursuing that dream too. And, and it's, it is great work. Can you think of one example of something that uh, a piece of advice that's worked out really well for you? And then second, a, uh, a piece of advice that you can give others of something that has not worked out well. <laughs> Let me start with the second one. I've taken that real estate course twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man. <You> know, <laughs> so, you know, you, right before I became a full-time professor, I was, I was teaching um, kayaking. I was doing a lot of whitewater kayaking and teaching sea kayaking and teaching part-time at Emerson. And I just, I just wasn't enough income. I just wasn't hanging. And I thought, well, I'll take that real estate course. I'll help people buy houses or rent apartments. I don't know. Um, you take the class and you get two years after the class to take the test. A month went by, I hadn't taken the test. Another one, but a month, month went by and I got a full-time teaching job and I just was so happy. <laughs> and then the school was going out of business and I was like, what am I going to do? You just really, you're not sure where you're going to land. You know, I, I, I applied for two jobs. I was a, um, a finalist for one of the jobs and I got the second one and, and it worked out fine, but in the middle, <laughs> you panic. And I took that real estate test. I think it would work out fine for me. I like people. I I, I probably would good at, be good at sales, although I've never done it. But that's the advice I always get. Take that real estate class. And I'm just like, I just can't. I don't know. It always, it's always hard. But good. I should tell you some good advice, right? Yeah. Well, I don't have any. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I just want to say regarding the real estate thing, I always think, Real estate, would that ever be for me? And then I always think I'm such a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. And I mean, I can dress up. I can go to a wedding. I can go to a nice event. I got a, you know, I got a couple ties. I got a nice suit, but I couldn't, I don't know if I could do that every day. Right. And my dry cleaning guy, Sal, I I grumble about the price that I have to pay him when it's, you know, once every six weeks, once every two months, I never wear dry cleaning, you know, (laughs) and I grumble about the cost of it. So no, getting dressed up, it costs money. I don't know. It's not comfortable. 
but maybe you'll do it. Maybe I'll yeah, do it. I mean, you can't wear gear, gear manufacturer shirts to a real estate opening. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I've got those uh, Mercenary Audio used to have these incredible shirts. <laughs> yeah, in, inappropriate, every single one of them. Um, yeah. Well, it's not rocket surgery. That's probably the cleanest one of all the shirts they made. Um, so good advice. I, I, I guess the good advice is just to, that I've received is just to follow follow your passion. You know, and really, I think I, I think I sort of said my best advice, which is that it's, it's working hard to learn that I think and, and achieving that, well, hopefully some of the time that provided has provided me and the people I've observed the most happiness. It's, it's, it's challenge when things become mundane, you've done them enough times, or you're not enjoying them. And there's no challenge. Then we get bored and we, we get unhappy. So, and physical, ex- physical exercise. I'm not some fit guy. You know, he's a podcast. You guys can't see me. It's not like I'm sitting here in my gym outfit. I <laughs> got some punch going on, but get, you know, getting out and moving, moving the body to whatever its abilities may be and, and, and challenging your brain that that's, you know, and it's worked out. People seem to um, hire me because I've asked questions and learned the answers for things that other people apparently are happy. I know. I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That health thing, that exercising, th- I think you're feeling old. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm feeling my mortality. I'm feeling like, I got to get out and do some exercise. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to get floppy and yeah, pasty and, you know. I, I, I just know that for a fact. If I, if I, uh, if I added something to the, to the day that's got a little exercise, it's, um, it, it, it pays, it pays off in dividends. Uh, I, <laughs> it's been weeks at this point. At minimum, buy a Fitbit. <laughs> yeah. Get your, it, get your 10,000 steps in every day. It's sitting unopened in the box next to the pedometer that, you know, I bought when I was fourth grade. I, I, you know, I've often thought maybe I should just install a treadmill underneath my, my, uh, my mixing situation and have a standing desk. Right. <laughs> the hamster, the hamster hut mixing studio. <laughs> On that note, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Um, you're a multifaceted guy with a, a, a lot of different experiences, and it's it's been a pleasure having you on. So uh, we got to give a shout out to our our mutual friend and uh, and a person who has great suggestions for uh, guests for working class audio, and that's Sean McLaughlin. Shawnee Mac uh, is the best. On, who's been on the show? I always forget the number. Uh, Sean, I should remember this number. Sean was on the magic number, WCA number 37, which is ironic because he owns 37 Foot Productions. Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, it, it fits. That's right. So, he just, if you haven't listened to Sean's interview, please go over to WCA number 37 and have a listen to Sean. That's right. I'll have him on my uh, show whenever that airs, and we're going to uh, probably talk about the acoustic design for his um, for his new control room. I, I think he did maybe the whole studio. Lou Clark from Sonic Space recently did, redid his room. So I'll, I have Lou presenting this weekend, and we have Lou coming in to do a TV show on May 2nd, and then we'll have Sean hopefully follow up about the actual studio design coming up. Hey, could you do me a favor and follow up with uh, me about any video or audio presentations for your builders workshop i'd love to share it with with my listeners i appreciate you doing that it's going to be at audiobuildersworkshop.com um i'm just building the vault because i want to be able to you know drop the ball for a couple months and still have enough material to keep releasing um but we've got at this point we've got a pretty full vault so i'm just going to finish up editing those and so yeah i i really appreciate i really appreciate you having me on this has been this has been really great thank you well thank you Thanks again, Owen. Great to great to uh, meet you, and uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much. I, a, a absolute honor. Excellent. Owen Curtin here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Man of many talents, and uh, he's got a lot of plates in the air, juggling a lot, I will say, but uh, man, he seems to be holding it together. 
So uh, just want to say thank you one more time to Owen. But we are out of time at this point, so it is time to thank everybody. Let's thank Mr. Cliff Truesdale, Mr. Cole Williams, and Mr. Chuck Smith for their help with the show. Of course, the show is brought to you with the generous support of our sponsors, Audio-Technica, Focal Monitors, Universal Audio, Lawton Audio, and Gearslets.com. And I appreciate your support. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at Gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to Gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.